So how many of us have experienced what this clip is illustrating in their life? On one side or the other. How many of us actually punch with our words? You know, the effect of words that can live in a person's spirit for a very, very long time. The effect of words that bruise deeply. And again, the only way to overcome the hurt and the pain of the words is to forgive the person who sent them your way. Otherwise, they actually, those words will remain locked in our spirit. God wants to free people here today of the wounds that were caused by words punched upon you. God also wants to tell the rest of us not to wound people with our words. Proverbs 12 says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Can you imagine if all of us here today, we carried in, in as we came to Seoul, we carried an a unsheathed, uh, sheathed, razor-sharp, two-edged sword? You know, it'd be a miracle if we could get through the morning without anybody getting cut, never mind that. But the fact is, we do have a razor-sharp, two-edged sword in our mouths that we carry with us every day, and we need to use it all the time to, with the greatest care to bring healing and not injury. James writes, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell. So like... <clears throat> like a spark that lights a bigger fire. It not only defiles us, but it also sets on fire the course of our life. This is what James is saying. If you have a careless tongue, it's going to damage your entire life. He goes one step further and he identifies the ultimate source of the problem. He says, and itself set on fire by hell. That word hell actually uh, makes reference to an actual valley just outside the walls of Jerusalem where in Jeremiah chapter 32, the worshipers of Moloch came and they would offer their children. They would burn their children as sacrifices to appease, uh, appease their idol. It later became a place where you actually would burn trash. And the only other New Testament use of the word here is by Jesus. He uses it 11 times to refer to the place of eternal torment. And James means then that an evil tongue is set on fire by Satan himself. Interesting analogies. And so Christians, you know, we, we, we shrink back from sins like molesting children or murder as being, you know, satanically depraved. There's something evil with that person if they can do things like that. And yet, and yet we tolerate and participate in gossip. Do I get an amen in slander, in deceit, in half-truths, <clears throat> sarcastic put-downs, and other sins of the tongue as if it's actually no big deal. And James is saying that all those things have their origin in the pit 
of hell. And they defile the one who is committing it. Not only that, they destroy others. And as believers in Jesus, we have to be forced to confront these sins in ourselves, And we have to be strong enough to confront them in others. So on a personal note, I can't help but study, I can't help but go through this, and I can't help but be convicted as well. And I know that I have publicly been known as saying that sarcasm is my form of hugging, right? So of course that's funny, <laughs> I do it for a laugh, but I just want you to know where I've been this past week as I'm studying this stuff, and I realize that after the study, that sarcasm is also like punching somebody in the face, but with words. That's my takeaway. So I can be Mr. Funny, but there, there's an element to the price of the words that I use. And our words can be filled with love, our words can be filled with joy, happiness, and blessing, or they can be filled with sarcasm, unbelief, all kinds of negativity, and even hate. Words can curse and words can bless Words can encourage and, and absolutely bring life. Words can discourage and bring death. The words that you hear linger with you. They can be biting. They can be stinging. They can be hurtful. Words that we speak to our wife or our husband or our children, you know, as they leave the house in the morning can actually rob them of everything that they need during the day, do they not? Yet loving and tender words of encouragement, what do they do? They actually linger and they, we keep people encouraged throughout the day and in some cases can actually help them bring victory. So words can make us buy stuff even that we don't need. It's called advertising. Words can separate people for a lifetime. It's called arguments. Words can help somebody keep going who would otherwise quit and throw in the towel. That's called encouragement. Words can move someone to suicide or keep someone from suicide. So who's igniting your words? Words can lead someone to a faith in Christ. Why? Because faith, according to Scripture, comes by hearing, but words can even overthrow the faith in someone. Our words... Jesus says in Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Words are important, but they're meaningless if the heart isn't really into it. Jesus didn't simply want people to say the right things. What does he want? He wants a close heart relationship with people. James says that my tongue starts a lot of chain reactions, and we can spread fear, we can spread hate, we can spread anger, but we can also spread love and we can spread grace. But then James points out the reality again, I don't like. There's a lot of this stuff in his book I don't like. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed, and I have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And to be quite honest, the reason I don't like that James says this because he says very clearly that no man can tame the tongue. None of us can tame the tongue. It leaves us in a quandary and it leads us with a bad taste in our mouth, 
if I could put it that way. And yet the situation is not hopeless as it may seem on the surface because he points out the obvious that you and I need God's help in our life to control our mouth. I can't do it on my own. That's what he says. I just can't. And how many of us are so independent that we just try to do it on our own, but the realization is that we actually need God to put a a bit in our mouth and help us control it. So if our faith is genuine, genuine faith yields to Christ's lordship, not just in our lives, people, but over our tongues. And so David writes in Psalm 114, he says, Set guard, this is his prayer, Set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors, the door of my lips. Remember, James says we all stumble, and so maybe this monster will never be totally tame, but if you know Christ as your Savior, you're engaged in this ongoing battle to try to tame or control our tongue. It would be nice if becoming a follower of Jesus resulted in a total you know, makeover of the mouth, right? But it's not so. And although we do become new crea- uh, creatures in Christ, right? Good morning, saints. Thank you. We also carry around with us the old nature of the flesh, which wars against the spirit. Good morning, sinners. So the tongue is one of the major battlegrounds in this war. And so for all of us who identify as believers to become godly people, we have to wage a war daily on this front of what's coming out of our mouths. And James is a savvy pastor here. He, he knows that we won't gear up for a battle and face our sins of the tongue unless we, we actually recognize the magnitude of the problem. And that's what he's highlighting. And we all tend to justify ourselves by pointing to others who are notoriously bad, right? Oh, look at how horrible those people are. Yeah? In comparison with how they talk, you know, look how they talk. I'm doing okay. They, they got potty mouth. I'm doing really okay. But James comes in with very vivid illustrations to open our eyes as to just how serious our problem is. And it's interesting that he never gives, when you read this, he never gives any advice on how to control the tongue. He just leaves you reeling from his portrait of how huge the problem is. He does not say the tongue is untamable. He just says that no man can tame it. It's humanly untamable. That's why I don't like it. But then again, only God can tame it. And so when the Holy Spirit controls our heart on a daily basis, and over time the fruit of the Spirit begins to appear in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit include love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, which all actually relate, what? To the control of our tongue. And so to tame our tongue, to control our tongue, to be mindful of the words that come out, we need to be as believers to walk in the Spirit, taking every thought captive in the obedience to Christ. We need to do that. You need to be able to have that relationship with God. And if you're struggling with that, contact us. We'll even walk with you. We'll meet with you. We'll talk to you. We'll show you how to just even use the devotional that's online for you so that you can start by renewing your mind that affects even the things that come out of your mouth. And James goes on. He points out a gross inconsistency that he had no doubt had observed. 
Some Christians say praise the Lord in one breath, and the next breath they say evil things about another person made in the likeness of God. They sit in church singing songs or at camp, as my wife and I found out once very clearly. Here we are singing praise and worship to God and no sooner get out the door and say horrible things about other people. Amen or ouch? Anybody relate to that? Yeah. What does James say? Hey, brothers, sisters, it should not be this way. That's all he says. It shouldn't be this way. Jesus said in Matthew 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. The mouth is simply opening the vents of whatever is in the heart. Think about that when somebody is ranting and raving. And if there's raw sewage in the heart, there's going to be raw sewage gushing from the mouth. This is why in Proverbs 4 it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow, what? The spring of life. Have you ever thought about how embarrassing it would be if you ever had a direct open line between your thoughts and your mouth? You know, that, the, the, almost like what you saw with that planes, trains, and automobile clip of a, you blurted out loud whatever you were thinking. So instead of being polite, you know, hi, I'm pleased to meet you, out comes, I couldn't care less about meeting you. After listening to somebody drone on in a sermon, Instead of saying, oh, that's very interesting, pastor, you blurt out, how can I get away from this bore? Now, I'm not suggesting that we should abandon politeness and become brutally blunt um, at all. I'm only pointing out that even if you control your tongue, we can have a heart problem. James points out that what often happens amongst Christians is contrary to all nature. The same spring does not send out fresh water one minute and bitter water the next. He, he rhetorically asks, he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's rhetorical. No, it just can't happen. What's going on in here is going to come out of here. And so, finally, my tongue displays my character. My tongue, your speech, this will make you go, hmm, when you walk out of here, displays who you really are. How's your speech? Some of us are racked with guilt at this point. Oh, you're shaming me. No, I'm not shaming you. I'm just preaching scripture. Whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Jesus said, out of the fullness, out of the overflow, out of the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we are what we speak. So how can we tame our tongue? Well, obviously, I think the, the first place is that we have to look inside and we have to examine our hearts. We have to start with our hearts. All of us do. Ezekiel 18, the message says, clean house. No more rebellions, please. Get a new heart. Get a new spirit. The NIV puts it this way, Ezekiel 18.31. It says, rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. So this is where we got to start, folks. You want to work on this, you got to start with this. You want to work on this, you got to start with this. We have to start with this. 
And when we let God have his way inside of us, if you let God have his way inside of you, different things will come out of you. And so I think we have to work daily at, at taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Remember, because our thoughts will become words. So we want to take that captive, think before we speak. We want to walk daily under the control of the Holy Spirit. That means to have this prayer, God, just help me be aware of what I'm thinking, be aware of what I'm saying. We need to renew our mind by getting into the scriptures. That is so important according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I would go so far as even going out and memorizing James. Uh, chapter 1 and 19. You know this, my beloved brethren. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Right? Memorize Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for what? edification according to the need of the moment so that it will be grace given to those who hear. So we use our tongue to repair and to rebuild. We need to learn to speak life. We need to learn to speak truth, but we need to learn to speak life and truth into the world around us. We need to speak the good news of the gospel into the world around us. And I want to leave you with all this. You know, we, we all acknowledge that it's wrong to spread untruths about people. Do we not agree in this room that? Okay. But many of us actually feel it's okay to say anything about another person as long as it's true. Do we not? Oh, you're not so quick in affirmation to my question, are you? Right? If it's true, it's okay to say, right? But the fact that something is true doesn't mean that necessarily... Um, it's actually anybody else's concern. Let me ask you this way. Do you want every aspect of your life to be known to others, even if it's true? Okay, just making sure you're there. Right? Uh, just, some of you, I'm not answering that question because I'm going to be hung out to dry. So you're all sitting here. I'm going to ask you this. How many of us can actually think of at least one embarrassing personal incident, just you, one embarrassing personal incident that if, if it was to become known, if we were to say, hey, look at, you know, Sharon, I want you to put your embarrassing incident on the screen. It, if that one embarrassing incident was well known, that it would negatively impact your life. All of our hands will go up. All of our hands are going to go up, unless, of course, you've led a very boring life. You have poor memories, or you're a liar. That's the only three. So what is perverse about our human nature, and this is so true, is that while we don't want others to know about such events in our lives, right? We don't. We're very protective. I don't want you to know. Almost all of us. Do I get an amen? Amen. Almost all of us are just aching to learn and speak about such events in the lives of other people. Why don't we want people to know about our highly embarrassing episode? After all, most of us, when you think of it, the deep secret that we're concealing, because you are, 
It probably doesn't involve the criminal act. It may, but it probably doesn't. But we all know that if people learn about this one thing, it will easily become their primary association with us and our name. Why is this? Because what is the most interesting about people is not what's so nice about them. And this is pretty much true about everybody. Author Isaac Bashevis Singer said this, even good people don't uh, like to read novels. Oh, sorry, yeah, even good people don't like to read novels about good people. We don't want to read novels about good people. We want to read novels about bad people. So I'm going to leave you with this homework. Pull out your phone, pull out your notepad, whatever it is. Here's your homework. Can you go for 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to anybody? 24 hours. Homework, I kid you not, pastoral homework here today. Some of you are laughing nervously. <laughs> what do you mean, <laughs> one day without any negative comments about anybody? <laughs> my boss, my coworkers, my in-laws, uh, my siblings. You're not sure you can do it, can you? <laughs> so then I, may I suggest that if you're not sure that you can do it, may I suggest that you have a serious problem? Because if I was to ask you whether or not you could go 24 hours without drinking alcohol and you said that you couldn't, that means you're an alcoholic. Oh, now we got serious. And if you can't go 24 hours without speaking unkindly about another, that means you have lost control of your mouth. There is no area... Um, of life in which so many of us systematically violate the golden rule. So regaining control of our tongue will require considerable discipline. But self, but this kind of self-control will also bring great comfort, great admiration, and great trust from those in your life. I need to say this, and every perceptive person knows that if you badmouth others to them, you're sure, surely going to badmouth them to others. Everybody knows that. So before you relate something negative about another, and even if you feel quite unsure about what you're saying is factually accurate, you ask yourself these three questions. So here's your 24 hours of homework. Here's the three questions. You ready for it? Of course, they're on the screen. Duh. Does a person who I'm speaking, does a person to whom I'm speaking really need this information? Number two, is what I'm saying fair? And number three, why are you saying it? So that's your homework. That's your homework, church. Monitor your conversations for two days. Note it on a piece of paper. Note it on your phone. Every time you say something negative or about somebody who's not present, note it. Just note it. You'll catch yourself. You will. You'll feel guilty. You won't want to open your phone. You want to pick up your notepad. You know it. Just monitor it. Humor the pastor. But also record what others in your relationship circles do as well. No, don't be the word police in that way was what I'm talking about. But your reactions to when it happens. 
do you try to silence the speaker? Do you, you know, try to ask for more details? Right? What's your response when you find yourself in that situation? And, and to ensure the test's accuracy, uh, make no effort to change the content of your conversations throughout the next 24 hours. Just be yourself. Don't try to be kinder than usual. I'm going to be really kind, you know. Uh, See, most of us who actually do this in the next 24 hours and take this test, you'll be unpleasantly surprised. So why doesn't James give us a helpful tip on how to control our tongue? Maybe it's because, like most of us, maybe it's because, like the alcoholic, we are in denial about the magnitude of the problem. And the first step in dealing with the problem is acknowledgement. I have a serious problem. I have a tool Satan in my mouth. Welcome to Soul Sanctuary this morning. There is not a greater time for us to go to the communion table and to ask for forgiveness, is there? And to be reminded when we participate together, I just need God's grace in my life and I need a fresh start in my life as well. We're moving to communion. Jordan McClellan's going to lead us. And as he comes, and I just want us to prepare our hearts. Like I said, if you need to talk further about anything in today's life lessons or you want to talk about Jesus, don't hesitate to text soul to us, to the number on our screen, because we want to walk with you and talk with you and do our best to answer your questions, Jordan. Ouch. And thank you, Pastor Jerry, for that great word this morning. And uh, what an appropriate time for us as a church family to take communion today. And so at Soul Sanctuary, we practice an open table, meaning that if you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to participate with us today. Um, perhaps if this is brand new to you, or if you're here for the first time, or it's your first time ever at church, and you're just not sure, you're just kind of uh, trying to figure this all out, we just invite you just to sit back, relax, and take it all in from your seat this morning. But to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 wrote this. He said, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Corinth was one of warning. In other words, they weren't doing communion properly. When they got together, there was all sorts of divisions happening. The, the, the strong were exploiting the weak. There was a bunch of stuff that they weren't doing properly. They weren't doing it as family. And so he gave them this warning that these divisions are not healthy, but when you come together to take communion, you need to, to love one another and do it together as a family and, and examine your heart, your life, and your relationships as you do this. And so we're going to do that this morning. In the book of Psalms, there's a prayer in Psalm 139 that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so we're going to go to communion today. There are tables at the front. There are tables at the back on each corner um, near your seats. If you're in the first few rows, um, five rows or so, please use the tables at the front. If you're in the back, please use the tables at the back. But I'm just going to invite you to make your way to the tables. Uh, grab a piece of bread, grab the cup, and come back to your seat. And as the band leads us in worship, just remain at your seat and just have a time with God of self-examination this morning as we're going to take communion. And then once we're all back together, we'll partake together. 
And so I'll just get you to stand. And as the band leads us, just please make your way to the communion table today. Hours before Jesus was going to be arrested, which would lead to his crucifixion, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus went and ate with his disciples. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. In remembrance of his body broken for us. Let's, let's eat the bread today. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In memory of his blood that was poured and shed for our forgiveness of sins, let's drink today. Please stand with us this morning. In just response this morning, as we continue with an attitude of self-examination and uh, Really, just as a community, as one family today, let's continue to worship this morning and let's just respond to him in whatever way we have to. Maybe for you, that looks like just a, a prayer between you and God. Maybe you're just going to sit and worship and give him praise today and thank him. Perhaps you want to pray with the person next to you this morning. If you're comfortable with that and if you're with somebody, uh, please feel free to pray this morning together. We'd love to um, just offer you that opportunity and, and allow you to do that. But let's just worship God this morning in whatever way you feel you need to respond. And so as a worship team leads us, Let's make this a time of response today. The words of that song just encourage you today. We've been taught very well. We've been challenged and we've been encouraged as we've been pointed to Jesus this morning, who is our help, who loves us and who does strengthen us and enable us to do things. And so rest in that today. In ancient times, the one who blessed it so by extending hands and those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. And so if you'd like a blessing this morning, please just extend your hands. And here it is. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ through all ages, world without end. Grant, O Lord, that what has been said with our lips, we may believe in our hearts, and that what we believe in our hearts we may practice through our lives. Strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Remember prayer, prayer time Wednesday. And remember to check out the Lenten devotional online. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, see you on Wednesday.